and welcome to Preps Talk by Sequoia. I'm welcoming today Bruno and Thomas. Thank you, Suzanne. Who've joined me for a conversation. As a start, we want to present the timeline of Preps as it stands now. So we had an implementation date in January 2022. That is not valid anymore. The implementation has now been moved to the 1st of July 22nd. In between that period, we have March. In March, the UK nurse regime will end the exemption or the option to put nurse uh, documentation on a usage kit. So from March, as it stands now, UK nurse would have to implement a PREPS kit. The question here is, the old PREPS kit as it stands today, or maybe there's still gonna be a change. On our timeline next, you see December 24. So in December 2024, there's a change to the calculation methodology that can be used. Today, as a start, there's two methods for PREPS calculation, the so-called new PREPS calculation, which is an easier, um, less burdensome calculation, and the full PREPS transaction cost. That exemption, the option to use new PREPS, will end December 2024. Finally, to keep things interesting, one more date, December 2026. That's when the UK usage kit exemption will end. So UK domiciled usage will be able to continue usage kits until December 2026. So the timeline highlights that there are at least two documents running in parallel the UK kit and the EU PREP kit from next year onward. There's the possibility that within the UK, post-Brexit, some more variation will come up. But what we can get to really is that usage kits will still be available in the UK and the EU will have to do PREPS kit. So the real question is what happens for UK funds distributed into the EUA, into the EU, and the other way around. The current EU PREP regime applicable for UK funds may also still be adapted by the FCA, for example, adjusting the calculation methodologies further simplifying them potentially, and that could impact also the EPT. In the UK, the FCI is already empowered to make additional changes. And one of these is that really um, the requirements for the description of the performance scenarios has been replaced with a brief description of information on performance and the assumptions made to produce them. 
So when we look at this, a lot of complexity, a lot of questions, surely, on data, on consistency, how do we deal with these discrepancies? So Bruno, if I can turn to you with, for a first question, what do you see as the main data challenges? You've already touched upon one of the main ones, which is uh, the performance scenarios, which even under nor normal circumstances within the EU are posing problems mm -hmm. for, uh, for managers. Uh, this is especially true for all the funds that have a recommended holding period of five years or less, as these funds will have to base the calculation of their performance scenarios on 10 years of data. So for young funds in particular, you can already see uh, 10 years of data for a two-year-old fund that is going to be problematic. And uh, the EU uh, has, or the, the Euro European Commission has, with the new RTS, further tightened the rules that are applicable to the uh, appropriate benchmark selection for managers, meaning you have to be very much on point with the uh, replacement data that you include instead of actual NAV history in order to calculate those uh, performance scenarios. Uh, I'm sure both the availability and the cost of such data are going to be uh, pain points for the asset managers. Another area of concern is uh, the calculation of transaction costs. You've already mentioned that as well, uh, the full PRIPS method versus the uh, new PRIPS method. Uh, we have again been granted an extension to keep using the new PRIPS method until the end of 2024, but that doesn't change the fact that from 2025 we will have to uh, rely on data collected under the arrival price method, and that means uh, asset managers have to record timestamps for the orders that they transmit to their brokers. Uh, this may seem silly or it may seem not such a challenge, but the fact is uh, the timestamps that are currently collected are those on the execution of those trades, while the collection of the timestamps of the order transmission has been around as a requirement since the beginning of PRIPS, but still has not been implemented by most asset managers. So uh, I think with this, uh, Thomas will probably jump in and, and add some more details uh, on the technical side. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Bruno, and thanks, thanks Suzanne. Um, well, I mean, indeed, so transaction cost, always when we have questions on PRIPS, it's, it's on transaction cost. It's clearly highly debated topic. Um, currently in the market, we see that a lot of parties are using the new PRIPS method currently. Uh, although, strictly speaking, under the current RTS, this is only allowed for uh, new PRIPS, uh, recently launched PRIPS. I mean, that's also why we call this new PRIPS methodology. And the reason why a lot of parties stick to the new PRIPS methodology is indeed, as Bruno mentioned, because of uh, well, the need to identify the exact timestamp of a trade. And this is pretty complex. And indeed, a lot of IT uh, providers are not capable of, of, uh, of capturing this exact timestamp. And the second reason is obviously, uh, let's say, the complexity to source the arrival price 
and more particularly the high, uh, the, the very high cost related to the to this data. Uh, now uh, going forward, uh, so what we will see uh, going forward now with the new Prips RTS. Uh, well, um, I think although slippage or arrival price is confirmed by the ESAS as the recommended methodology, uh, they do they did listen to the market um, and uh, they have allowed basically the possibility to opt out of the slippage or arrival price methodology under two uh, circumstances. So the first one is indeed, as Bruno mentioned and Suzanne, uh, a general exemption period for usage and alternative investment funds still the end of 2024. So these are three years and three years, I'd say, to, to get ready for the introduction of slippage, to, to, I mean, to, 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 to look for providers, to look for, to update your IT systems, etc. And then the second way to opt out of, of slippage will be for funds with a low uh, volume of, uh, of, of transactions and where, where the actual transaction cost is not so significant compared to the total NAV of the funds. So going forward, I think we will still see new pips. Uh, in the market, but now I'd say more in a, in a uh, it's, it's now more framed in the RTS. Uh, what will change is the negative transaction cost. So that's also currently uh, something which can appear in a kit or in an EPT. Uh, it's considered as very confusing uh, to investors for obvious reasons, negative transaction costs. And this is also a point uh, on which uh, the European supervisors have listened to the market and they have floored transaction cost at the level of explicit transaction cost, so meaning we will have no more negative transaction costs in a kit or in an EPT fan. Obviously this is for Europe, as we mentioned, as, as we already discussed, what about the UK? Uh, will, if, will they follow Europe? Then we won't have negative transaction costs either in the UK, but if they don't, then we, we might still have this in the UK. Yes, and I think the UK have not followed suit there yet, even though the FCA was very vocal in terms of negative transaction cost being an error yeah. um, if they appeared. Right. So quite a lot of data challenges on the calculation side. Based on the fact that we have different calculation methods available, um, there would probably also be issues in consistency. Right. Um, on the risk and performance side, I think we see similar issues. For example, the, the new risk and performance calculations present a completely new methodology. So what if the UK do not go along with this? Yeah, no, correct. So I think, uh, I mean, it's clear that we will see several kits in parallel going forward. Uh, we will have, uh, I mean, let, let's say next year, so uh, fund managers will have to, for the first six months, update their current PRIP. Then as from July, we will, we will have the new PRIP as per EU law, and then in the UK, that's still a question mark, definitely. Um, now on, on the risk and return, because you mentioned this, so uh, obviously, uh, I mean, some important parts of the kit, uh, the summary risk indicator, so the risk indicator largely remains the same under the new RTS, though for the performance scenarios, there are quite a lot of changes, especially for the favorable, moderate, and unfavorable scenario. We do believe that it's an improvement, uh, that the new methodology uh, for in Europe will will accommodate for the main pitfalls identified, being amplification and procyclicality. Uh, but still, indeed, we will have the discrepancy between the UK, EU, and as Bruno mentioned, so these 10 years of data. So this will come obviously at a cost. Uh, I mean, it, I mean it, there are, the rules are much more strict, so no more shopping around on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, 
if we look back on the PRIPS regime in total, so there's the data requirements, um, especially in terms of transaction cost, which is quite a challenge. Um, but another big demand that PRIPS makes is that of consistency. So what does consistency mean in that context? As a minimum, it means to not have contradictory information across different disclosures. So what we've seen with the calculations is that we can't really think data without thinking consistency, at least in this conte context. Um, and with the different um, calculation methods, uh, where does it really take us from there is a, is a big question, I think. Bruno, is there something that you can say about Switzerland in that context? Because, again, a third legal regime. I think for once uh, it looks as if Switzerland is not making it even more complicated. It's hard to believe, but uh, yeah. So uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, when the USITS kit was introduced, uh, Swiss asset managers with the Luxembourg management company, of course, had to comply according to the EU timeline. Uh, but the Swiss funds didn't have the kit from the start, and when it did come, it did have a Swiss finish. And even the USITS kit for Switzerland had to have a little bit of tweak uh, so that it uh, fit the requirements uh, there. Now, with uh, the new FITLEG legal framework, it seems that the PRIPS kit will be considered uh, an alternative and equivalent, actually, to the basis informations, basis informations blood, which is prescribed under FIDLEG. Uh, so the PRIPS kit will not only be accepted for EU usage sold in Switzerland, but it will actually also be an option for Swiss managers to use for their Swiss fund range. And I think that is um, quite astonishing, considering the past. So, on the Swiss funds, of course, we still have uh, the element that uh, they may be sold to the European Union and then are automatically considered AVES. And as AVES, they will use the PRIPS kit also, or in fact already, because this has not changed since the advent of the PRIPS regime. I don't know if there are many Swiss funds sold to retail investors mm. in the European Union, but that is the basic uh, premise. Uh, so, Swiss managers who have both USITS and Swiss funds will be in the lucky position to only have to produce one type of pre-contractual pre disclosure document, unless, of course, they get silly ideas and want to distribute also to the UK, where we've seen that there may be one or two additional formats required. Uh, another fun twist on the timeline, actually, and I think this has not been mentioned yet. Uh, Suzanne, you said in the introduction that we are looking at the 1st of July 2022 start now for the PRIPS kit for USITS, according to the updated RTS. Uh, the regulator on the European level has just communicated that the SFDR RTS will be pushed back to that same date. So I think we can be very curious to see uh, who in the industry 
will push for another postponement of PRIPs, seeing that now, again, the asset managers will be faced with two major challenges effective on the same date. Yeah, thanks, thanks Bruno for mentioning that, because really implementing the two, SFDR and PRIPs, both very data intensive, at the same time will be a challenge, or would be. So we'll, we'll see what comes our way. Um, it's also when we consider additional disclosures necessary under our PRIPs, like website disclosures, um, as well as the cross-document consistency, there, again, more challenges and linked to data. So if we take a simple example, and that's really probably a, a very simple one, um, today companies show the usage as RRI, for example, on their fact sheets. But what will they show in the future? As RRI, as RI, will there be less information in order to avoid discrepancies? Will there be more information with more disclosures? It will be really interesting to see whether legal and marketing documents are produced in that way. Um, so wh what's your take on this? Indeed, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how this alignment happens. As you say, consistency is a very big concern across legal documents and corresponding marketing documents. So maybe we will see uh, British fact sheets still using the SRRI and European EU fact sheets uh, for PRIPs already then using the SRI to be in line with uh, each other. Uh, time will tell, I guess. Uh, we also see still have to see how the implementations happen on both sides of the channel. Generally speaking, I think risk disclosure will be highly uneven. Uh, what we have currently on the USITS kit is a risk disclosure, which is making up often half of the first page mm -hmm. of the kit. And it provides maybe not a huge lot of detail, but it does name a few of the major risks involved in an investment in such a USITS. And that goes alongside the synthetic risk and reward indicator, the SRI, in a sense that it is supposed to highlight risks that are not captured by that indicator. On the other hand, we have PRIPS and the PRIPS kit, where we rely on a summary risk indicator, as was been mentioned, uh, not the same methodology, but kind of the same aim. Uh, but this is in combination with no additional risk disclosure on the document, mm -hmm. meaning for the risk the investor has to look to the prospectus, because on the PRIPS kit we refer for risk disclosure actively to the prospectus. So I think this is a, uh, not a very good point in terms of uh, how open the asset managers mm -hmm. communicate to, uh, to their investors. Finally, I'm also curious to see how the disclosure of past performance uh, will play out. Uh, Doma, I think you've uh, mentioned before that we have this kind of in-between situation now where uh, we have the performance scenarios on one hand, which are clearly prescribed in the PRIPS context, but now with the updated RTS, we also have an obligation 
for managers to uh, disclose past performance, but they are not allowed to do that on the PRIPS kit. Instead, it has to be done on a separate document or uh, on a website. And uh, this will, funnily enough, also mean that past performance will remain as static as it currently is compared to uh, marketing documentation. So on a fact sheet, you have your monthly updated performance, but the PRIPS kit sticks uh, strictly to the usage rules for past performance disclosure, meaning only calendar years will be uh, disclosed off document. And the only impact of that on the PRIPS kit itself is that we have to indicate how many years of past performance uh, are available on that other medium. So uh, to end with on this, we do have, in a sense, uh, still an obligation to annually update such past performance because obviously if you talk about calendar years, that's when such information becomes available but we don't think that it, this will mean necessarily that PRIPS kits will all be updated in February as we had with the USITS kit. So it's another question mark on how the market will deal with this uh, funny set of rules and still keep the uh, investor informed. And if I can add to that, so indeed so that the past performance charts are something new and this will need to be published indeed separately from the kit. Mm -hmm. So this also poses, let's say, an IT challenge because yeah. you will have to put a link on the document referring to the chart. So this will be hosted, will have to be hosted online. And then something else is on the, the, the monthly calculation. So now the, the, risk, the, the return scenarios will have to be calculated on a monthly basis. Uh, so this will have to be published on a monthly basis, again online with a link in the kit. So these are indeed two, I'd say, additional IT challenges for firms to implement. Uh, making the kit, I'd say the PRIP kit, more, uh, let's say, an ongoing process than, make, than currently for some parties, I think it's more an annual update uh, as for the usage kit in, in February. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the regular updates are really enforced now, clearly, clearly. where this wasn't done in the past necessarily, depending, giving more um, choice to the asset manager on how often they would calculate. Um, and the complexity has increased. Right. With website disclosures, with past performance, with the PRIPS, future-based projection, let's say. Um, and having all of this in the larger context of your overall disclosures. So website, PRIPS kid, usage kid, potentially for the same product but a different market. Websites, past performance, and then other marketing documents, fact sheets, or anything else. So the disclosure, which is very central to PRIPS, really, to the intention behind PRIPS as well, the, the, um, the consistent disclosure, that is really being challenged into the operational processes, I think. So quite a few challenges um, that we hopefully got you to know about and to think about. Maybe, Thomas, some final thoughts on the development, where to go from now, and what is the urgent thing maybe to start with yeah, so right I, now? Yeah, so I think certainly, I mean, there is life after COVID. Eh? We have PRIPS, uh, so <laughs> I think we're all very happy with that one. 
I think, first of all, still a lot of questions. Uh, I mean, first of all, on, okay, I mean, we still have this, this deadline of July still to be confirmed, and then there is the UK, what about UK? Uh, clearly, without doubt, there will be multiple documents in parallel next year, so this means a lot of work on document side. And then on calculation side, again, so new calculations to be implemented uh, for the scenarios. Uh, we think it's an improvement, it's better, but it, it basically adds another layer of calculation, so more work to be performed, and then we still got this uh, online hosting of monthly calculations and past performance charts, so they're also an IT challenge. So I think there is a lot of work. We obviously, as Segovia Responsive, are very happy with that one, I'd say. Um, but I mean, yeah, very interesting. Uh, still some questions, but we hope to get answers very soon and, and work together to find answers, I'd say, uh, on, these, on those topics. Pono, any, any additional I have, thoughts? I have nothing to add, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's really... Uh, a big unknown still, shockingly, yeah. because everyone was hoping, uh, especially with the Commission's announcement, that they would at least tick off the RTS before the summer break and then again not doing it. Now with the communication on SFDR, uh, I think there are too many balls in the air and I hope we can catch them all. <laughs> Very good, yes. So clearly PRIPS is a saga that is gripping us through its many unforeseen twists and turns and probably will continue to do so. The challenge of transaction cost calculations remains and is enhanced by the data challenge um, that underlies the obligation of consistency really in all areas, both on PREPs and across disclosures generally. These challenges are best met through a central data strategy that relies on transparent product lifecycle management, creating the basis really for an efficient, consistent and reliable disclosure across all communication channels.